Bibles, open your Bibles tonight to the book of 2 Kings, chapter number 18. 2 Kings, chapter number 18. I spoke this morning about the subject of peace and God's promise uh, that peace is available for those who trust Him. Tonight I want to speak about uh, a person who played a very important role in that time of history. His name is Hezekiah. I wish I had time to really deal with all of the details related to his ministry as king of Judah during that period, and maybe in another lesson we'll, we'll get around to that. But tonight I want you to notice in verse 5 of 2 Kings chapter 18, it says, He trusted in the Lord God of Israel so that after him was none like him among all of the nations of Judah, nor any that were before him. Let's have a word of prayer before we begin. Father, we thank you again tonight for the privilege to be able to open your word and to share your word with others. And we pray tonight that you'll speak to our hearts. We thank you, Lord, for the wonderful Word of God that we can depend upon even during the times that we are so very confused about the circumstances of life that we know that you're very much aware of what's going on. In fact, you're the one that either appoints it or you allow it. And I pray that we'll have the wisdom to accept it and to realize that it's meant for our good rather than for evil. So bless us tonight meet the needs of each and every one that's listening, for we pray in Jesus' name, amen. The story of Hezekiah reminds us that even the best people are liable to fall. I'll talk about that more later on. Dr. W.A. Criswell preached a sermon many, many years ago. The title of the sermon was The Tragic Sin of Good King Hezekiah. He made a comment in that message that goes right along with the verse I just read. He said he was the best and most devout and finest of all of the kings of Judah, yet there overtook him and overwhelmed him a sin that destroyed his house and his people. Uh, that is a sad fact, but that's not the only sad story in the book of the Bible. Hezekiah is not the only one who has failed miserably. I think about Moses. Here is a man who talked with God face to face. Here is a man that God used mightily, and yet he was a man that was banned from entering into the promised land as a result of his sin. You know the story how God told him to speak to the rock, and instead of doing that, he smote the rock twice and uh, that was so offensive to God and uh, so detrimental to his position as a leader of the people that he was banned from entering into the promised land. I've always been really amazed that Moses stayed by the stuff even after he learned that he wouldn't be allowed into the promised land. I've often thought, you know, most of us preachers would have probably said, well, if I'm not going to get in, you know, if the people are not going to follow me, if they're going to murmur against me, I might as well resign. I'm wasting my time with these folks and just, you know, go somewhere and kick back and retire. 
But Moses didn't do that. He stayed right in there to the very end. But the sad fact is he did something that he could not undo. And uh, that's what happens with sin so many times. And no doubt he let the people, their murmuring, their complaining, get to him to the point that the, the flesh got control and it was a very costly mistake. But Moses isn't the only great man that, that fell. I, I think about David and he's described as a man that is with a perfect heart and a man after God's own heart. And yet David failed miserably. We're all familiar with, with his sad story. And that list could go on and on and on. And the fact of the matter is, something we all need to think about tonight is that we all fail in different ways to different degrees, but we all fail. And the best way to avoid falling is to realize you can fall to be aware of the fact that it just might happen to you. Paul warned us about that over in 1 Corinthians and in chapter number 10 as he's dealing with the subject of the children of Israel and how that they murmured and complained in the wilderness. And he said in verse 5, But with many of them God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were our examples to the intent we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. And he goes on and mentions several different sins of which uh, they were guilty and sometimes we're guilty. And he said then in verse number 11, Now all of these things happened unto us for examples that, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come, and then the warning, Wherefore, let him that thinketh he stand, take heed, lest he fall. And so what happened to Moses? What happened to David? What happened to Hezekiah? What happened to Israel could happen to, to any of us. And when we're going through difficult times such as we are now, it really puts us to the test. You, you might say it can make us or, or break us. And the same sun that, that softens the clay, uh, you know, it, 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 uh, it hardens the, the, the mud and, and so forth. And, and so it has a different effect. And trials are the same way in our life. It makes us bitter or it can make us better. And that's why God puts us to the test. It's not so much that God is trying to figure out who we are and what we're thinking and what we'll do in certain circumstances. God wants us to see that for ourselves. God already knows our heart. He knows exactly what we'll do in any given circumstances. But God puts us to the test that we might understand more about ourselves so we could talk at this at great lengths but I want to get back to Hezekiah's history and there's so much to this story that we only have time to just hit a few of the highlights tonight but let me say this do you realize there are 11 chapters that's one percent of the Bible that's devoted to Hezekiah that's an amazing thought to me to think about one percent of of the Bible devoted to this one man chapter after chapter 11 different chapters have something to say about hezekiah 
And so surely there's a lesson there God wants each and every one of us to learn. But tonight, I just want us to focus on his faith. We talked about that this morning, the, the need for trust, the kind of trust that honors God, the trust that brings peace to our heart. And so here we see that, that Hezekiah was a man of great faith. It says in our text, he trusted in the Lord God of Israel. And then he elaborates saying, so that after him there was not, not, not none like him uh, among all of the kings of Judah, nor any that were before him. That is so absolutely amazing. And it's clear from this that God attributed it all to his trust in the Lord. Everything, every good thing that could be said about him had its roots in the fact that his trust was in the Lord. So it was the faith factor that made him the great man that he was. So let's think about these highlights of Hezekiah. First of all, we see his grim background because when we look back in chapter number 16, we see that he was the son of the wicked king Ahaz. And he, I mean, you talk about getting off on the wrong foot, having a bad beginning, this was it. Ahaz was a horrible king. It was due to his idol worship and his sinful ways that Judah was eventually overthrown in 586 B.C. And all of Isaiah chapter 7 through chapter 10, all of those chapters there deals with that time, that the, the wicked ways of Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. So based on all of that, it seems that young Hezekiah doesn't stand a chance. Uh, everything's against him. His father is the king and the worst king ever. I mean, it couldn't be any, any worse than that for him. So how do you make something good out of something that is so bad? Well, thankfully, he overcame the odds. He did better than his father, better than any king before him, better than any king after him. But it it all started with this, this grim background. And no doubt there are those today that have had a horrible beginning. It might be that you came from a broken home. It might be that, that your parents were addicted to drugs. It could be a, a, a thousand and one different things that, that got you started wrong. And everything seemed to be against you. And, and you've just given up on life, given up on ever really trying to make something out of your life. And I say to you tonight, don't you dare give up. God's bigger than that. God's able to take the very worst background possible and bring something good out of it. And that's exactly what we see. The story doesn't end with this grim background of him being the son of the worst king ever. But we see here his godly behavior. In 2 Chronicles 31, verse number 20, it says, And thus did Hezekiah throughout all Judah, and wrought that which was good and right and truth before the Lord his God. What a remarkable testimony that is, and especially when you consider the wickedness of his father here. So 
he overcame all of those odds to become something, someone, notice that did that which was good, right, and truth. And we're all affected by nature for one thing. We're all affected by nurture. But we become what we are by the choices that we make. And each and every one of us are accountable for those choices. And so that means we can't use the bad things that happen to us as an excuse for our failure. That doesn't get us off of the hook. And yet people do it all of the time. Well, I've got a bad temper. I come from an Irish family or whatever it might be. Uh, but people look back on their past and think of something that was horrible, something that was tragic that happened to them, and they're stuck on that for the rest of their life. And no doubt it did influence them adversely in some way. There's no doubt about that. Nurture does play a part in, 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 in our lives and how we are affected by it. But it doesn't have to end there. We can get beyond that, and God expects us to get beyond it, and God holds us accountable for the choices that we make. So you can't blame Grandpa. You can't blame your mom and your dad. You can't blame your neighbor. You can't blame anyone else for the horrible things that happened to you when you were a child or sometime during the course of your life. All of the breaks seem to be against you. And uh, so instead of using that as a crutch, as an excuse for your failure, you need to do what Hezekiah did, and that is he trusted in the Lord, and that trust in the Lord caused him to do, as, as we just said, that which was good, that which was right, and that which was the truth before the Lord. So out of that grim background, we see a man with godly behavior, and that brings us to the next thought, and that is his glorious beginning. His glorious beginning. He was 25 years old when he began to reign. He reigned for 29 years over Judah, and uh, his godly behavior did not go unrewarded. The Bible tells us as a result of his righteousness, God prospered him. Again, 2 Kings chapter 18, and this time verse 6 and verse number 7. We just learned that he trusted in the Lord. Verse 6 says, and he clave to the Lord. You ought to underline in your Bible each one of these phrases. He clave to the Lord. This is not something that was momentary in his life. It was not something he did just to get him through a crisis, but he clave unto the Lord and departed not from following him and, notice, but kept his commandments which the Lord commanded Moses. And the Lord was with him and he prospered whithersoever he went. Thank God for the assurance that God gives us that righteousness pays off. Righteousness is rewarded. And here it says that God prospered him greatly. By the way, when the Assyrians conquered the ten northern tribes, all of a sudden they are a, a threat to, to, to Judah. And Hezekiah, and you can read it uh, if you read on in chapter 19, Hezekiah prayed for the safety of of those people. Think about it now. Here is a nation dependent upon the prayers of their godly king, and he prayed for the safety of the nation, and God answered. 
God answered. The Assyrians did not overcome Judah. It was not till much later in 586 where finally they were defeated by the Babylonians. The point is this. Never underestimate the prayers of a godly person. I know James said the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Indeed it does. And that word man there is not just speaking about those that are masculine. It's speaking about every man, woman, child, every righteous person. Their prayers availeth much. Thank God for that. Only heaven will finally reveal just how much we've depended upon prayer. Everything depends upon prayer. Whether it's our singing, our preaching, our giving, whatever it is that we do in life, it depends upon prayer. And so here was a man with a glorious beginning, and basically it's because he not only was a man who was godly, but a man of great prayer in the Lord. He realized his need of the Lord. He trusted the Lord. He called upon the Lord, depending upon Him to meet not only his needs, but the need of his nation. I'm sure that sometimes you've thought to yourself that maybe, maybe our nation has crossed the deadline. Maybe we are past the point of recovery. We've just, and by the way, we might be. We don't know that. But it's the fact that we don't know that that ought to cause us to continue to pray for our nation. We shouldn't ever give up. God help us to not adopt this attitude. Well, you know, it's just a sign of the times and we can't really do much for the Lord today and so there's not any need in really exerting ourselves and making any great effort because, you know, people are not going to listen. Well, a lot of folks won't listen. And indeed, we can see the... Uh, you know, as some call it, the signs of the times. That's, that's evident. We see things are changing. They're getting worse and worse. But we have still got an opportunity to do that which is good and still have an obligation to pray for the kings and the leaders and the rulers and all of those that are in authority and to pray for our nation. And our prayers can make a difference. It might be that our prayers will just extend the mercy of God, let's say for one more generation or two more generations. That might not seem like much, but when you think about your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, you become extremely interested in the condition of America for the next few generations because you know that they're going to have to deal with that stuff. And we need to teach them the best way to deal with it is to be a people of much prayer. And his glorious beginning is rooted and grounded in the fact that he was a good man who trusted God, who prayed for himself and prayed for his people. Now, that brings us down to a real moment of truth and that is his grave burden. In 2 Kings chapter number 20, in verse number 1, we read, In those days was Hezekiah sick. Not just sick, mind you, but it says that he was sick unto death. And the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, came to him and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Set thine house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. Now, imagine 
Imagine getting a report like that. This is not a report from some physician. This is not a report from some neighbor who said, well, you know, uh, my grandpa had what you got and he didn't live a month. So you don't have much chance. This is not just what he surmised in his own mind that he felt so sick that he thought he was dying. This is the man of God, Isaiah, coming to him saying that God sent me and God wants me to tell you it's time to set your house in order because you're going to die. You're not going to live. I mean, if there's ever a message that is absolute, that's an absolute truth. I mean... I'm sure he feels hemmed in. I'm sure that he feels that there is no way out of this. I'm a goner. I'm going to I'm going to die. And it reminds us that sometimes the best people have the worst problems. We've just talked about all of these glorious things about Hezekiah. From this horrible beginning, we see him and his godly behavior and his glorious beginning finally as the king. And he's doing Well, it seems like he's doing everything right. It seems like if anybody ought to be exempt from trials, it would be him. But that's not the case. And it's not the case with you. It's not the case with me. None of us are exempt from those common trials of life. As Job said, man that's born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. And that's true of all of us. And, and, and Hezekiah's goodness did not keep him from grief. He's human. He's grieving. He thinks he's going, going to die. And even so, none of us are exempt from sickness. I mean, it's going to happen sooner or later. You might be as healthy as a horse right now, but the day's coming you'll be sick as a dog. The day's coming whenever here you are strong and healthy and feeling good, but the time's coming when you'll be sick, the time you'll suffer. There'll be a time of sorrow. There'll be a time of death. It's appointed a man wants to die. But after this, the judgment. And we all have to meet that appointment. So this is a grave burden on the heart of a good man. But when we read on in 2 Kings chapter 20 and we see the great blessing, I want to I read that for you tonight. 2 Kings chapter 20 beginning in verse number 2. Then he turned his face to the wall. Now stop there just a minute. That doesn't mean that he curled up in a fetal position on his bed and put his face to the wall and bawling his eyes out and complaining about his situation. That's what some of us would have done. We have been kicking and screaming, oh, this isn't fair. I'm not through living yet. I've done nothing but good. This is just not right. But he, noticed turned his face to the wall and prayed and prayed unto the Lord, saying, I beseech thee, O Lord, remember, remember now how I have walked before thee in truth and with a perfect heart, and have done that which is good in thy sight. And Hezekiah, Hezekiah wept sore, and it came to pass uh, for uh, Isaiah was gone out into the middle court that the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, imagine that. Isaiah's getting ready to leave and God taps him on the shoulder and he told him, turn again, (laughs) go back. You know, some people think preachers have always got it all together and really we don't know what we're doing half the time. If it wasn't for the grace of God, everything turned out to be a mess. And so Isaiah 
probably, you know, thinking, well, I, boy, I sure hated to deliver that news to poor old Hezekiah. He might have even been thinking Hezekiah didn't deserve that. He's walking away. He's delivered the message. He did his job. It's all over. And God taps him on the shoulder and says, Turn again and tell Hezekiah, the captain of my people, thus saith the Lord God of David thy father, I have heard thy prayer. Aren't you glad God hears when we pray? And I have seen thy tears. Indeed, he does. He keeps them in a bottle, by the way. Behold, I will heal thee. On the third day thou shalt go up into the house of the Lord, and I will add unto thy days fifteen years. I will deliver thee and this city out of the hand of Assyria, and I will defend this city for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. And Isaiah said, Take a lump of figs, and they took it and laid it on the boil, and he recovered. What a great blessing. I love this story because when Hezekiah prayed, God healed him, and God added 15 years to his life. I can remember praying, by the way, at a time in my life, Lord, if you'll just let me live to, to be 60, I think I'd be happy. And then I remember praying, Lord, if you don't mind, I'd really like to make it to 70. And uh, anyway, here I'm eight years beyond that now. I have no idea how much longer God's going to give me. But I do know it's all in God's hands. And I do know that God can add years to our life. He added 15 years to his life. And as a result of that, I want you to see this. In fact, I hope later on that you'll really dig into this and really study what he wrote. But Hezekiah wrote a, a psalm of praise to the Lord. It's recorded in Isaiah chapter 38, and it just might be that we'll camp out there next week sometime. But there in Isaiah chapter 38, beginning in verse number 9, he writes a remarkable uh, song of praise unto the Lord. You know, Hezekiah is praying in his sickness, and no doubt Hezekiah wanted to live. You know, the big question, I think, is why do we want to live? Why? What difference is it going to make to the kingdom of God? What difference would it make to your family, to your neighbor, and to others? What, what difference would it make? And we need to think about that because Look, if we're not going to devote ourselves to following the Lord, to doing His will in our life, there's really no reason for us to live any longer. We'd all be better off in heaven, wouldn't we? No arthritis and rheumatism, no cancer, no heart disease, none of those things that trouble us so much down here. And as Paul said, to die is gain. We can't even imagine how much better heaven would be so we'd all be better off in heaven than we are here but God has placed us here God has left us here because God has a purpose and a plan for each and every one of us and I believe the best way the best way for us to assure that we're going to live out the length of our days is for us to busy ourselves in the work of the Lord. That's better than any medicine that you'll ever find, better than any miracle cure that the scientists will ever come up with, doing the will of God. 
And certainly we're not going to live beyond that point that God has prescribed. That, that's true enough. But we're not even going to get there unless we're doing what the will of God declares. So we see this great blessing in, in this time of a grave burden, a great blessing that comes upon this man of God. And I wish, you know, if the story just ended there, it would be, it'd be so wonderful. But there's one other thing, as I mentioned at the very beginning, that even sometimes the greatest of men fall. And when we look in 2 Kings chapter 20, beginning in verse 12, we see the grievous blunder, the grievous blunder of Hezekiah, something that, that well, we would never suspect. He did something that... I don't know any other way to describe it other than to say it was just stupid. It was so foolish what he did. Second Chronicles chapter 32 describes it. It tells us that it was out of his foolish pride. Remember, God blessed him. God prospered him, the Bible says. And so here he is, uh, now the king of his people. Here he is living in a state of prosperity and he took all of his riches and paraded them before the Babylonians. The biggest threat they've got, the Babylonians, and here he is dragging out all of his stuff, showing them all of his riches and you better believe that's all they needed for them to start plotting a plan to take it away from him. What he did because it came from a heart of pride, provoked God, and it resulted in the Lord pronouncing a judgment upon him. And if it had stopped there, it wouldn't be quite so bad. But the judgment was not only upon him, but being the king, the judgment also was upon the people. And from that point on, everything went downhill after that. What a sad, sad story that is. For a man who, who made so much out of his life, and he spends the rest of his life living under this dark cloud of impending doom upon his nation. And God warns them over and over in the book of Isaiah, tells them outright that the Babylonians are going to come in, they're going to conquer you, you're going to, you're going to live your life in, in bondage to them. So God didn't surprise them. God just told them exactly what was going to happen. And then God turned around and said, and don't you resist. You, when they take you there, you just stay right there. Because it's not going to do you any good to resist because you're going to end up hurting yourself even more. And so here as a result of this horrible decision that grew out of pride, and prosperity tends to do that so many times. You know, because here's somebody that maybe God is blessed with a great deal of talent, a lot of ability, and it's real easy for people like that to become prideful and to think of themselves as being better than somebody else. Somebody that God is blessed with great prosperity in a financial sense, and it's real easy for them to look down upon others, you know, as being failures in life. And it's that silly pride in our heart that so many times brings about our fall. 
I mentioned earlier that times of testing, times of trial, difficult times puts us on the spot and really makes us or breaks us. Now, usually we don't think about that as having anything to do with pride whatsoever, but we should because the problem is this. We all, out of our pride, tend to think that we deserve more, bigger, and better. And all of a sudden, God pulls the props out from under us. Now, when you've had nothing and you don't get anything, it's a lot easier to live with that than when you have a lot and you lose it. And here in America, where we have been allowed to live in the lap of prosperity, God has prospered us so greatly. Let me tell you, the same God that gave, us, gave it to us can take it away from us. And with pride in our heart, thinking that we deserve more and bigger and better, this isn't fair that God is allowing all of this bad stuff to happen to us. Right? We're convinced it's just not fair. We might not come out and say that. After all, we want to sound really spiritual and we say things like, well, I don't understand it, which we don't. But the fact of the matter is there's so many times that in our heart we are resentful of those things that our good God allows to come into our life. And we're resentful because of the pride that makes us think we deserve better than what we're getting. And so I mentioned that because the same thing that happened to Hezekiah can happen to you and it can happen to me. And this ought to serve as a warning to each and every one of us. Peace is possible. But it's possible only for those who trust God. But true trust obeys God. James reminds us of that, how faith and works go together. I mean, if we're really trusting God, we're going to obey God. We make fools about ourselves when we talk about having great faith in God when in reality we're living in rebellion against God. If we really trust God, we're going to obey God. And obedience is always rewarded by blessings from the Lord. So tonight as we close, you might want to think about that old song that we sing so often, Trust and Obey, for there's no other way. There's no other way, and there's not, folks. It's through our trust in the Lord and our obedience to the Lord that we gain the blessings of the Lord. That all begins with you as, as maybe someone that maybe you've never been taught. You, maybe you've never attended church. It, it might be that nobody's ever told you about the great sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross at Calvary. When he gave his life, he shed his blood. He suffered hell for each and every one of us. He died in our stead that we could be saved. And we're able to appropriate all that he provided by simply putting our faith in him. Simple childlike faith in the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's promised that if we'll trust him, he'll save our soul. It's not a matter of joining the church. It's not a matter of being baptized. It's not a matter of being a good neighbor and doing good deeds or being generous to others. No, it's just a matter of trusting Jesus. Certainly, none of us Christians are perfect. We all, we all have our faults. We all fail. And uh, we're not proud of that. 
We want to do better than that. But whatever you do, don't ever, don't ever blame the faults of a Christian for the reason that you reject Christ as your Savior. We're just forgiven sinners. We're no better than you or anybody else. It's just the fact that the Lord has forgiven us, and He'll forgive you also. He'll forgive you of every sin. He will assure you of a home in heaven. And He'll change your life right here, right now, by you simply putting your trust in Him. Trust and obey. There's no other way. Would you do that tonight? We surely hope so. And if you do, I hope you'll contact us, whether it's a phone call, whether it's email or or on the website, but whatever it is, let us know if we can be of any spiritual assistance to you. And may, may God bless you until we meet again, Lord willing, this next week. Be, tune in on Wednesday night. Brother Kenneth Preston will be bringing a, another message from the book of Ruth, and it'll be something that'll be of great benefit to you. Let us bow in prayer. Father, again, we thank you tonight for your word and the certainty of it and, and the assurance that we have in it. Help us, Heavenly Father, to, to not only be good stu uh, students of your word, but help us, Lord, to be good servants. Help us to take that which we've learned, that which we know for a fact, and to put it into practice. May we go out from this place tonight, and may we put our Christianity in shoe leathers for others to see. May we be an example of the believer in word and indeed in, in every possible way that somebody might see Jesus in us and see the difference that he can make in a person's life and that might create within them a desire to know our Jesus as their Savior. For we beg it in his precious name. Amen.